Volume. Hello there and welcome to Waterless. This is Winston Mwale. Uh, Waterless is produced by Volume in collaboration with the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ, an organization that contributes to the global water conversation by giving voice to and advocating for everyone across the world who is water disadvantaged. Today we are talking to Brezhnev Malava, a Zimbabwean journalist, publicist, corporate communications expert, writer. Well, it's uh, he's really a talented guy. Um, Brezhnev has edited Zimbabwe's biggest papers, for example, the Sunday Mail, the Sunday News, the Chronicle, and in a stellar journalism career spanning many years, uh, he's also been in the thick of things in the newsroom. He has sat on countless boards in fields as diverse as mining, broadcasting and university education. Welcome to the program, Brezhnev, today. Well, thank you, Winston. Uh, my name is Bresh Malava, as has been said. I'm a journalist based here in Harare, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is in Southern Africa, uh, just north of South Africa. And um, I've been a journalist for 22 years now, um, quite experienced. And um, I went into journalism straight from college. I've been editor of some of the biggest newspapers uh, in this country, uh, including the Sunday Mail, uh, the Zimbabwe Independent, uh, the Chronicle, and the Sunday News. Um, most of, of the time I've been a print journalist, uh, but uh, with the evolving uh, journalism landscape, I've uh, learned to learn like everyone else. I've learned all the other skills that uh, uh, modern journalists uh, needs uh, digital skills. So I'd like to see myself as uh, a modern uh, journalist. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Oh, wow. Over 22 years uh, in journalism. Now, the reason why we are hosting you in this particular program uh, is because recently you produced a water story uh, uh, titled When Water is Just a Sip Away. Now, I would want to, to learn what triggered the story idea uh, for this particular story. Uh, I mean, Zimbabwe has had so many problems before. What was so unique with this particular story? Thank you, Winston. Um, the reason why we did this story is, uh, first and foremost, uh, there is a water crisis here in Zimbabwe. Uh, access to clean water is difficult for most people in the country. It's because there's been a prolonged economic problem, a prolonged economic crisis for almost two decades now. And as a result, uh, spending, public spending on water infrastructure has gone down. It has not uh, been uh, commensurate with the rise in the population numbers. So it's difficult for people to access water. The, sometimes when you get the water from the taps, uh, it's contaminated. Uh, and it's often, as they say, people often drink uh, water tainted with sewage, particularly here in the capital city, Harare. And so considering that the UN says uh, water is a human right, access to clean water is, is, is a basic human right. Uh, we found it necessary to delve into this story and find out how people are faring in that regard. Um, as you may know, uh, not so long ago, uh, there was a devastating uh, cholera outbreak here in Harare. 
And uh, so we wanted to find out, has anything changed or are people still facing uh, difficulties in accessing clean water? Mm -hmm. Now, I was looking at the, the, the headline, for example, it says, when death is just a sip away, uh, meaning that uh, uh, taking water would do probably take you to the graveyard, to death. Uh, was that so serious? It's very, very serious. Uh, the problem persists uh, as I speak. Uh, essentially, what is happening in Zimbabwe is because of the prolonged economic crisis uh, and the decline in public spending on water development infrastructure, uh, people are not able to get portable water. And as a result, um, uh, the risk of contracting uh, deadly waterborne diseases is very high. And so, in fact, the deadliest cholera outbreak in recorded African history, uh, which killed 4,300 people and infected 100,000 people in Harare in 2008 and 2009, uh, has left the community here in fear of contracting uh, these diseases. So the peril has not uh, gone away and people, whenever they drink water, are always reminded that there are people who have died, thousands and thousands of people have died because of drinking contaminated water. So it is a problem that exists and it is a problem that we've decided as journalists to go there and uh, look at. And for me particularly, uh, it has been uh, quite an eye-opening experience uh, talking to these communities that are affected, talking to the families on the ground uh, and just uh, recording their experiences. Okay, now talking, uh, talking about the speaking to different sources as you are doing the story. Uh, you spoke to Shailene Gumbeze and her daughter, Keisha, um, who, who suffered from cholera in 2018 um, when she was just seven years old. That was the, one of the most heart-rending aspects of, of doing this story. Um, sometimes the, you get a bit emotional, but as a journalist, you, you've got to remain objective. But when you are interviewing people who have faced life-threatening situations, uh, the emotions come through strongly. And uh, so, yes, indeed, I spoke to uh, Shailene Gumbeze, uh, that's the mother. Uh, the daughter is Kisha Risina Mozi. Uh, Kisha was only seven years old two years ago uh, when Harare was hit by a twin cholera and typhoid outbreak. So little Kisha then contracted uh, typhoid. Typhoid much like cholera, is a disease of the gastrointestinal system. Uh, it attacks you in the stomach and um, you have a running tummy and you tend to vomit and uh, you tend to develop a fever as well. So yes, uh, little Kisha then recounted that episode and uh, told me how tough it was for her. She thought she would die. She was very scared and uh, the emotions come through, as I said. And um, the agonizing thing for that community and that family is that uh, the danger is not gone away. The family still has no access to a reliable source of clean water. So you can see little children uh, are also affected, but they are vulnerable because uh, children being what they are, they go playing in the neighborhood and they may actually be tempted to drink. They, they go thirsty and they may be tempted to drink water from uh, sources that uh, have not been uh, uh, considered safe. And so, yes, I spoke to that family. Uh, it was quite an emotional experience for them and for my crew. Um, 
I, I know, uh, Brezhnev, you'd agree with me that uh, uh, Zimbabwe, especially the Zimbabwean authorities, um, they are tough in as far as handling or working with the journalists. What was the reaction from, from the authorities when you were doing the story? Um, did you face any problems? Doing journalism in Zimbabwe is a very difficult thing uh, because this uh, country has been an, under the control of an authoritarian regime for pretty much uh, the entire 40 years of, uh, since independence. And so journalists are often viewed as enemies of the state. Uh, if not enemies, then they are viewed with suspicion. Uh, and so it's never easy uh, to go about doing your job in Zimbabwe as a journalist. And so because we were, uh, my crew and myself, uh, we were tackling this story during the COVID-19 pandemic, during the lockdown. So there are roadblocks everywhere. Uh, you come to a police roadblock, they ask you, what business do you have moving around? And you've got to justify yourself. And at some point uh, during these lockdowns, they were arresting journalists. Uh, and uh, as journalists, we had to go to court uh, through our association to convince the police, to convince the courts that no, look, journalists are doing essential work. Because the argument of the police was that the work done by journalists is not considered essential work. So they said journalists should not be out and about, but we argued that no, we are doing important essential work and we should be allowed to practice journalism. And so we won that case, but still the harassment continued. Police uh, were refusing to allow us to do our job. So it has been difficult uh, moving around. Um, but in this case, because Glenview community is not very far from the city center. Um, I managed to venture out there several times and talk to the affected uh, communities and the families. Oh, so sad, really. And um, uh, I, I know uh, you, you spoke to different uh, uh, sources, uh, Keisha and uh, her mother and multiple others. Uh, apart from the story of Keisha, uh, is there any incident that still touch, uh, touches you um, you, you really felt, uh, well, this is really, really bad. An unforgettable uh, part of the story was when I interviewed uh, a resident of Glenview High Density suburb, uh, a township, it's a working class, well, it used to be working class township. There's uh, pretty much not much of a working class now in Zimbabwe because it's been decimated by economic collapse. So these are low income uh, communities. So in that area called Glenview, I spoke to a lady called Alice Tapera Samkange. Uh, her husband died two years ago. Uh, he succumbed to cholera. And um, it was a very difficult interview to conduct because she kept on uh, vividly recalling uh, the entire tough experience and how it has left her emotionally damaged and um, she's, as a result, afraid to drink uh, municipal water. She will not touch municipal water because she says the husband died precisely because he drank contaminated municipal water. As a result, she uses uh, what they call water guard, which is a solution that uh, you pour into the water, into borehole water. In her case, she would rather use borehole water. But the problem again is uh, the boreholes have contaminated water because uh, 
the lack of investment in the public uh, water and sanitation system means that the water pipes, the clean water pipes uh, often burst, they're damaged, they're rusty. They were installed in the 1950s. The infrastructure is falling apart. So the same applies to the sewage system. The sewage system is bursting every now and then. And so there's cross contamination between the water system and the sewage system. So you open your tap in the house, you are essentially drinking sewage, uh, water that is contaminated. And so uh, the widow that I'm talking about, uh, Alice Samkange, she said she cannot afford to take that risk because her husband died precisely because of contaminated water. And uh, it has been very traumatic for her. The husband was quite uh, a vigorous and uh, beloved uh, member of the community. He was a choir master uh, in the local Methodist church. He was also a headmaster uh, at a local primary school. Um, and so he, he had many friends. And so they miss him so much and the emotions came out and uh, the scars are still fresh. And I was told that, uh, look, uh, this problem is not gone away. We've lost our loved ones, but the government, as well as the local authorities, have not done enough to make sure that uh, this sad episode does not recur because people in Harare can still die at any moment from uh, drinking contaminated water. So that was one episode which came out. The gentleman's name is Rodwell uh, Samkange. That's the husband who died. And um, this is another illustration of uh, the consequences of... Uh, bad governance, if I may say, because the local mm. community groups that I spoke to said, no, look, these issues are related to bad governance. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you uh, whether, since you did the story, uh, you have seen any, uh, any response from government in terms of trying to rectify the problem? Are you seeing any, anything? There's not been much of a response uh, from what I can see, uh, but uh, there's been some feedback from... Uh, local community groups. You know, the community mobilizers uh, that I spoke to, uh, some of them have read the story and they said, no, look, you brought out important issues and we hope that action can be taken. The problem essentially in Zimbabwe is uh, a governance problem. Uh, the country has been uh, undergoing a lot of political turmoil. Uh, there's too much squabbling between the governing party, ZANU-PF, and the opposition MDC. And so it's difficult for anyone to really focus on the important bread and butter issues uh, that make a difference in the lives of uh, ordinary citizens. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so as a result, you, you know, uh, people feel that they've been abandoned by the government. Uh, they've been left at the mercy of uh, a disease that should not be killing people in the 21st century. Uh, what has been described by some community mobilizers as a very primitive disease that should have been uh, uh, extinguished a long time ago. But here we are. Uh, this disease is still killing people, cholera predominantly, and also typhoid. Um, so there's a problem there. There's not much that has been done. Uh, there's need for a lot of public investment in the water infrastructure. There's also a need to uh, scale up the awareness campaigns so that people know how to fetch uh, clean water and also there's, it's important to empower the local communities because at the end of the day uh, they're the ones affected by this problem. They should be consulted, they should be involved in any planning process on the water issues uh, which is something that we are not seeing at the moment. Oh wow, 
what a story. Uh, now, with the vast experience that you have and uh, uh, having tackled this particular story that we're talking about, um, any tips for journalists, especially upcoming journalists, uh, especially those who are involved in investigative journal uh, journalism in terms of their approach to water reporting? Any tips? It's important to remember that at the end of the day, the water story is about human beings. Uh, it's not about just uh, the statistics. Uh, yes, the statistics may be important uh, for analysis and for policy formulation, but uh, at the end of the day, we're talking about human lives, we're talking about livelihoods, we're talking about the survival of human beings. It's a story that is to have a human face. And so it's important to go to the people, talk to them, uh, capture the emotions, uh, capture the sentiments, and also make sure that uh, whatever work we do as journalists ultimately is going to influence policymakers to do the right thing uh, in the interests, in the best interests of uh, the citizens. Uh, and also the other thing we need to uh, find out uh, from civil society what they, they are doing as well about these problems. They need to be more vocal. They need to mobilize at a community level. They need to empower people so that uh, the communities can also voice their concerns. There's a lot of fear in this country uh, because of the history of, the, of, of, of this republic. Uh, there's a lot of fear in the public in the, when you talk to members of the public. Uh, too much suspicion. Uh, they always, for instance, when I went around trying to talk to people, at first they were very suspicious and they wouldn't open up easily because they would think you're coming from the state police, for instance, and you've come to cause problems for them. So because of the culture of fear, an environment uh, that is not conducive to democratic expression, uh, people tend to be a bit reluctant to open up on uh, issues that affect their communities. But as journalists, we can't give up. If you want that story, you, you have to go out there and get it. Uh, so as journalists, uh, they have to be resilient. They should never give up. You also need to be more curious about what is happening around you. These are everyday stories. So a journalist would assume that there is no story to write about because they have seen this too many times that people are failing to access water. But it is a story and we should never let it die. Because if we ignore such stories, then the policymakers also tend to turn a blind eye to what is happening. And as a result, we all lose as a community. So it's important for journalists to stick to that story, never give up, tell the story, find different ways of telling the same story. Uh, and uh, you'll get there. Eventually, your stories will reach a wider audience and policymakers cannot afford to ignore us as journalists. Oh, wow. Uh, well, thanks so much, uh, 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 Brezhnev, for, 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 for the story and for the tips and for everything. Well, um, and also, most importantly, for accepting to be part and parcel of the, our community and uh, just today as our special guest. Thanks so much. Thank you, Winston. The pleasure is mine. Well, listener, we have come to the end of Waterless, a podcast produced by Volume in collaboration with the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ, a non-profit collective of media creatives from across the globe, all united in the pursuit of cross-water and cross-discipline investigation. This has been Winston Marley. And please feel free to get in touch with the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ at CCIJ 
www.ipsa.io and see you next time. Volume.